According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire... Wait a minute, I think I went too far. Um, yep, I went a little too far. Wait. And fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that someone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Bless the reading of God's word. Thank you. Well, I hope you have all had a good week. <laughs> Sorry, brother, I know you haven't. <laughs> Praying for you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, y'all left PA up in your prayers. He, a tendon? Something. Tore a tendon or a ligament or something? Yeah, yeah, a tendon. So not even surgery can fix that. He's just got to wait for it. Uh, so, yeah, be, pray, be praying for him. Uh, I hope everybody else had a good week this week. <laughs> y'all, I was reflecting on my days lately, and I... I've noticed that my days are getting longer and longer, and I have, and I have more and more to do. You laugh, but that's a good thing. Um, it's in one of the Psalms, and I don't remember which Psalm off the top of my head, but in one of the Psalms, the psalmist prays, "Lord, lengthen my days, give me lots to do, and uh, provide me a life that is not wasted." So I, I praise the Lord for that. It's a, it's good, good to have long. Long days in which we get to do many things. Let's pray together and we'll dive into this text. God, I want to thank you for everything you do. I want to thank you for giving us your Bible. God, for being so willing to condescend to us, speaking us in our language, to give your Holy Spirit who brings understanding. Lord, as we dive into your word this morning, we ask that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds that understand what you have to say through your word. And as your word is proclaimed here this morning, we want to ask you to conform us more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, that's, that's what we desire. That is, that is why we are here, to build one another up in the likeness of Christ. God, we love you, and thank you for every opportunity you give us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, Paul is 
writing to the church at Corinth, which is a very divided church, and it is a church divided because of doctrine and because of its practice, because uh, of its use of spiritual gifts and its and its doctrine. The congregation has become puffed up in its doctrine and in its knowledge such that there are divisions in the church. Some claim to be Paulites and some claim to be Apollosites. And Paul says that is it's not a good tendency, <laughs> right? Um, because you are worshiping people. Uh, Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who gave the growth. Last week we saw that the the preacher is nothing, and nothing but a slave of God, God's mouthpiece, bearing the sole responsibility, or the singular responsibility, I should say, of presenting the word that God has already given. So God is worshipped and God is praised, not the, not the preacher, not the pastor of of the church. And Paul continues his uh, line of thinking this morning in verses 10 through 15, uh, talking particularly of the pastor, using himself as an example. But as we think about the role of a pastor and who the pastor is to his congregation, this applies to the role of every believer as a priest in the kingdom Christ is building for himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Starting in verse 10. You know, I realized this morning I am a terrible Baptist. I don't have three points. I'm just gonna just gonna walk through the text. Is that okay? <laughs> All right, let's let's we'll just start in verse ten and we'll work our way through. <laughs> yeah, not no three points, no poem. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> According to the grace of God, this is verse ten. According to the grace of God, which was given to me. Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. I want to stop. We noticed three things about the ministry Paul had during his year and a half on his second missionary journey in Corinth as he was planting this particular local church in the home of Titius Justus. First, it's only by the grace of God that is given to Paul that he could build anything. We notice this building is not from Paul himself. Paul isn't relying on his own power. This is by the grace of God alone. And we ought to perk up our ears and we ought to listen. How often do we try to use the ways of the world to build a church that is supposedly Christian? Um, Church planters, missionaries do that often. There's nothing wrong with using the culture as a launching board for the gospel, but but the gospel is the only thing that builds any church. That's what we learned last week. Here, Here we learn that all of the growth, everything that is built, it's only by the grace of God. If a man or a woman is able to do any work, it's only by the grace of God, especially concerning things of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. We cannot build a healthy local church using the the things, the methods, the philosophies, the psychology, the the science of the world. It is only by God's grace, such that He alone is glorified and He alone is recognized as, as the one building His church. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Peter has made his great confession. And Jesus, His great revelation to Peter Peter, your confession is not from men, but from God. And Peter, you are my rock. 
and upon this rock I, that's Jesus Christ, will build my church. Jesus alone builds his church, and it is only by grace that anyone gets to participate in in such a work. And then Paul says, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Now, there's a reason he, he proceeds this with the phrase, by God's grace, because when he says, I laid a foundation, he, he doesn't want the Corinthians to misinterpret what he's saying as if Paul is the one building. No, Paul has claimed to be a fellow worker with Christ, not the one from whom the foundation of the church originates. Paul laid a foundation by doing what? By preaching the message of Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ alone. Here I I recognize something. Christ alone bears all of the responsibility to build His church. Yet, as we partake, it can be said that we are working with Him. We are His co-workers. And so we are accountable for the work that we do in the kingdom. And we are accountable for the gospel interactions we have. And especially concerning the preacher or pastor of a local church, he is responsible for the things that he says. And even if people do not hold him accountable, God certainly will, because he is Christ's co-worker here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all, that's scary for me. Scary for anyone who would presume to be a teacher. We bear a great responsibility not to exceed the words that God has given us. But Paul laid a foundation and another is building on it. Paul is not currently the pastor of the church at Corinth. He was there during his second missionary journey. As he writes this, he's on his third missionary journey. And somebody else is pouring into the congregation, pastoring the congregation. He says, I laid the foundation. Someone else right now is building on that. After Paul, Paul planted. After Paul, Apollos watered. So Apollos supposedly was the pastor who followed Paul. And then after that, now somebody else is serving as a pastor in the church at Corinth. Now, I notice Paul laid the foundation. His foundation was the gospel, and Apollos built upon that with the gospel, still the word of God, such that neither Paul or Apollos could be worshipped idolized like the church is is doing and now someone else the church has another pastor who is building upon the work of his predecessors i can't help but think about the church at sunsites planted by a man named ted goodnow who laid a proper gospel foundation and now i get to, to to build upon the foundation that he laid Christ is building his church, but I, I get to build upon the foundation that he laid. And if, and if Christ doesn't return in judgment before, before my tenure here is, is over, according to God's will and God's plan, someone else will build on that foundation. We are all one and we are all doing the singular work of Christ. Building upon the foundation, which is the gospel message. And as we build on it, we are using the gospel message, preaching Christ and Christ crucified. Resolving, determining to know nothing but the person and work of Jesus Christ. So from generation to generation to generation, the church is the church. And not one individual preacher is anything Pastors will come and go. No, I'm not resigning this morning. It's just what the text is getting at, okay? <laughs> pastors, pastors will come and go. But the gospel remains. 
And Christ is always Lord of His church. This is a singular work and a singular movement. That's what Paul wants the church at Corinth to understand. This understanding is what brings unity to the local church. But each man, he says, still in verse 10, each man must be careful how he builds on what was previously done. The work of a church planter or a founding pastor or missionary is awfully important. It's awfully important for the one laying the foundation of a local church to lay a proper gospel foundation and not to go beyond that. It's not not wrong to consider doctrines that are inexplicit. We do like to do that. We have men's systematic theology on on Tuesday nights. I almost said Monday night. I almost got it wrong. Yeah. On Tuesday nights. And and there's a lot there that isn't just explicit in the scriptures. But we love to talk about it. It's not wrong to talk about those things and to and to inquire as to those things, but those things are not the material with which we build the local church. The local church is it's it's built upon, with, and by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the explicit message in Scripture concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Paul here, he issues a warning to the pastor of the church at Corinth. And as he issues the warning to the pastor at the church at Corinth, every pastor on God's green earth who serves in every church around the world receives the same warning. Each one must be careful how he builds on it. Verse 11, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. When a a pastor begins pouring his life into a church, he's not there to create a new work. He's not there to change the game, to be revolutionary. He's, He's there to build upon the foundation, the gospel, Jesus Christ. The foundation cannot be changed. In 2,000 years, the foundation has not changed. And even before Christ was incarnate, the foundation was the same. The person and work of Jesus Christ on this earth. The ordination of God the Father and the revelation of the Son and His his pre-incarnate appearances, His theophanies. And now, in the continuing incarnation in the local church and through the local church, Christ has always been the foundation. It's never been different. We can't can't change that. It's always the gospel, always the message about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Even when the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied, what were they prophesying about? The coming of God to man. in judgment and in deliverance. And they foretold the incarnation of Jesus who would fulfill all of their prophecies and who would fulfill the entirety of the law. It's all about all about Jesus. No man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And Paul here explicitly identifies the foundation, Jesus Christ. Now I think here Paul is 
using an illustration <laughs> so that we can understand the illustration of someone building a house. First, you lay the foundation. And so the, the rest of the house is built upon Jesus Christ. I don't think Paul is referring to Jesus as a literal foundation here. Um, I do not think we will ever walk on Jesus. I do not think we will build material houses upon his, his face. This is an illustration. Now let me tell you why it's important to recognize this as an illustration and not as a, a literal identifier. Because in other places, there are other things identified as the foundation of the church. There as illustrations too. First in Matthew chapter 18, um, chapter 16, verse 18, it's, it's, it's Peter, the rock foundation, the apostles and the, and the testimony of the apostles identified as the foundation of the church. And in Revelation chapter 21, when John is writing about the new Jerusalem, and he identifies the new Jerusalem as the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. Uh, he, he starts describing the foundations, and, and the foundations are the twelve apostles. The twelve foundations are the twelve apostles. We recognize these as illustrations, and so when we read this, we, we don't generalize the illustration and say this applies across the board to all of Scripture. The apostles are not the foundation of the church in the same way that Jesus is the foundation of the church. Jesus is the foundation of the church here because it is, a, it is upon the person and work of Jesus Christ that the church is built. So he is the foundation. It's an illustration. The apostles are the foundation of the church in the sense that they are proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ. And this is where the New Testament church originates is with their proclamation. And they are the ones who initially took the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ to the world. So we understand when Paul refers to Jesus as the foundation, this is this is an illustration meant for our understanding. And he does not mean the same thing Matthew means by his illustration that the apostle Peter is the foundation of the church and and he does not mean the same thing that the apostle John means when John describes the apostles as the foundation of the church Jesus is the one upon whom the church is quite literally built verse 12 now if any man builds on the foundation with gold silver precious stones wood hay or straw are those materials the gospel no, he, he appeals to earthly materials in order to contrast this divine material, the gospel. And he says the church is not, if any man builds with, with mere bricks or hay or straw, wood, which are not the things of the gospel, those are earthly things, earthly materials. Each man's work will become evident it will be exposed that's a promise if you build with anything other than the gospel your work will be exposed it will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work what does paul mean when he refers to the day does anyone know? Judgment. judgment Day. There are three ways that the day is used in Scripture um, to describe the 
coming or work of Christ. The first way is, the day can refer to a general judgment against the nations. Like Christ came in the clouds against Sodom and Gomorrah and against Tyre and Sidon, the day can refer to any day of judgment. We see this in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 12, Isaiah 13, 6 and 9, Jeremiah 46, 10, Ezekiel 33, Amos 5.18, Zephaniah 1.14, and Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. The second thing the day can refer to in the scriptures is the incarnation of Christ, his, his first coming in the flesh. We see this in Joel chapter 1, verse 14, and chapter 2, verse 31. Obadiah chapter 1 verse 15, Malachi chapter 4 verse 5, Zechariah chapter 14 verse 1, and Acts chapter 2 verse 20. And thirdly, it can refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the final judgment, the, the future day of the Lord. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8, which we've already seen as we've been walking through 1 Corinthians here. We see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 2, Philemon 1 6, 2 Peter Chapter 3, verse 10, and I think that Philemon reference is actually Philippians. You know how tricky it is to read abbreviations sometimes. The day Paul is referring to here, as is consistent in most of the, the Pauline literature, is the future coming, the day of the Lord, the final judgment, and possibly, probably, all of God's judgments upon individual nations before then, the day. And how is the day, judgment day, how, how is it described here in verse 13? It is a day that will reveal the quality of each man's work. Here, referring particularly to preachers and teachers, those who supposedly are to be working hard at preaching and, and teaching, this day will reveal their work. It will expose it for what it is, and the quality will be known on that day. Because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. And here we get a glimpse into Paul's eschatology, his view of end times. There are fires when God judges nations, uh, figurative or literal. I think it could go either way on that. When God judges nations, I think maybe as God judges the United States of America, maybe we're feeling some of this fire in our day. There will be fire, the great judgment, judgment day, when all things are judged and Christ establishes um, His kingdom fully on this earth. And maybe a better word to describe that would be the consummation of His kingdom on this earth because Christ has already established His king. So there's fire involved, but that's not it. Look at verse 14. If any man's work which he has built on it remains upon the foundation, upon the gospel... He will receive a reward. And if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet as through 
fire, and Paul gives us a glimpse as as to a glimpse as to the type of fire he's talking about. This isn't just a destroying fire. If Christ is is king and, and Christ is taught, I have not come to the world to destroy it, but to renew it. That's John three seventeen. I believe his promise. This fire is not just a destructive fire where Christ comes in judgment and takes everything out. No, because then all of his work would be undone. It would be wrong to make that claim. He would not go against the promise he made to Noah and to all creation in Genesis chapter 9. Where he said, I make this covenant with you, Noah, and all creation. Never again will I destroy the earth. And there he clarifies with, with water, but y'all, Christ started a work, and he is faithful to complete it. And the fire Paul is referring to here is it's a purifying fire. And notice Paul Paul qualifies this. Whatever remains, remains. If 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 Jesus is destroying the earth, nothing will remain. But here Paul talks that there will be there will be stuff that remains after this judgment of fire. And that which remains is godly. That which remains is righteous. It is the quality of each man's work that was built upon the foundation of the gospel. That will not burn away in the judgment. And each man here, particularly referring to preachers and and teachers, each man will receive a reward according to the quality of his work. That's the, the sort of wage I mentioned last week. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Sanctification is by grace alone, through faith alone. But these heavenly wages are by merit. And I don't think we can get around that. The quality of each man's work. We are responsible before God in this way. And there will be things that remain that are not burned away by the fire of judgment. This is a purifying fire. No, what is burned up is that which is ungodly. And the one who does not present quality work, particularly as a preacher or teacher, his work will be burned up. And even if he is saved, it will be as through the purifying fire. Brothers and sisters in Christ, men and women of God, this is this is a devastating revelation for anyone who would wait until eight minutes before service starts to prepare a sermon. The work will be burned up. It's not quality. Christ desires quality, not necessarily quantity. That's what he desires from the men he has chosen as elders in his church. And it is possible for preachers of a church, for pastors, for elders, to know Christ but not present quality work. And that's what Paul is getting at here. Each one is responsible for how he builds on the foundation. And don't get me wrong, there are plenty of pastors, preachers, teachers, elders in the church who hold a position but don't know Christ. There are plenty of those, but that's not what Paul is getting at here. He's getting at those who are in Christ, but they do not present quality work. They divide the text, but maybe not as well as they could if they tried. Right? 
Paul here is getting at the work ethic of the preacher, of the pastor. And it applies to the entire church. Why? Because we are, we are all together priests in Christ's king. He's building a kingdom of priests for, for himself. And so we are all responsible in, in those moments we share the gospel. And in those moments we pour into others. In those moments we offer criticism. In those moments we seek to know about doctrine that isn't explicitly defined in Scripture. We are responsible to reason and to think, to present quality work, not to simply read a study Bible and parrot what somebody else says, but really work at understanding. We are all responsible before God in this way. And it it kills me to know we have so many brothers and sisters in Christ who, who simply do not try. If you're in Christ, you'll make it as though through a fire with no wage on the other side. In this, we, we have our challenge, I think, and it's a simple challenge. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ in His Sermon on the Mount... Build up for yourselves treasures in heaven rather than on the earth. Amen. That's the challenge for all of us. And it begins with the example that a preacher sets for the congregation, that the elders of the church collectively set for the, for the congregation. It's impossible if we live in the flesh. But if we live according to the Spirit, there, there's no way we can we cannot strive to understand sincerely to know the, the deep things of, of God explicitly stated in Scripture. Brothers and sisters, please know your Bibles. It's the most important thing we can do. The greatest apologetic we have, the defense of the faith we have, is our knowledge of Scripture. You can have a conversation with anyone and just talk about what you know of God's Word, and God's Word does the work. You don't have to know about every single religion that does exist. You don't have to know every philosophical argument for the existence of God or, or for, for Christ as Messiah in favor of the crucifixion of Christ. You don't have to know about textual criticism, uh, about defending the reliability and authenticity of the Old and New Testaments. Those are good things if you desire to learn them. But the most important thing for us is to know the Bible. Now, most of you in this room are not preachers by trade. (laughs) I am a preacher by trade. This is what I do. This is how I earn my living. I better be (laughs) presenting quality work. But what if you are not a preacher or teacher? How does this text apply? The first is in our presentation of the gospel and our evangelistic work. If you are... A rancher, do quality work, sell your services at a fair price, do it for God's glory, not your own. If you are a doctor, do quality work, present your services at a fair price, do it for God's glory, not your own. If you're in the military, 
quality work. You don't have a, you don't have a say in the price. <laughs> Do it for God's glory, not your own. If you are a writer or blogger or work for a police department, you own your own business, you're self-employed. Present quality work, offer quality goods at a fair price to your neighbor. Do it for God's glory, not your own. For those who are retired, understand that retirement is from a worldly occupation, not from service to God. And in retirement, you have freed time up to be a servant to God according to your spiritual gifts, according to the way He has gifted you. Present quality work. Offer a fair price if, if you are doing something that requires a, you know, a pricing. Do it for God's glory, not your own. And as we do all things in this life, we do them for God's glory and not our own. As if we are serving the Lord because, well, because we are. And He is the only client who matters. Amen. Amen.